Be Kwan, cut the music. We are back. Week six, episode six, whatever you want to call it. Usual crew, plus the return of hot takes after I want to say a one-week hiatus. Uh, let's go ahead and get right into it. Obviously, Baylor won the national championship. We'll have more on that later. I guess that could be considered breaking news if you're somehow listening to this a day after the tournament, even though we're recording it on the 7th of April. So I don't know how the heck you managed to do that one. But in other news, spoilers, if you are listening to it then somehow, Hubert Davis hired as North Carolina's head coach. Unfortunately, Jay Wright did not answer the call to North Carolina <laughs> how on it. So want to get your, your guys' thoughts on uh, Hubert Davis, and we'll also get in some other coaching news here too. I think it's a pretty North Carolina hire. I mean, right off the bat, we said probably going to keep it in-house or inside that North Carolina family, and Hubert Davis is that exact type. I think it's a pretty safe hire, too. I don't think they're going to get a lot of backlash. Hubert Davis is a pretty well-accomplished guy. He's served under Roy for – when did he leave game day? Like 2012, 13. He's been there for a while now. So he's been, he's been in that North Carolina coaching system for a while. I don't really – it's not a huge, like, jaw-dropping move but I think it's a really safe one that's probably going to, if anything, just harbor them over to the next coach in a few years or like the next like five or six years. So how old is Hubert Davis? He's kind of old, isn't he? He looks old. He, he looks, I was going to say he looks he's old. He's 50. Wow. I would on, not 50. have. He looks uh, older than that. It's, it's like a Mark Hughes <laughs> okay, type so situation. Though, with <laughs> it's kind of it like how Mark Hughes like looks like Mark he's 70. Looks so old. Mark when he's 52. <laughs> Mark Few's also been coaching there for 22 years, so it feels like he's older. Yeah, true. Yeah. No, I like the uh, Hubert Davis hire. I feel like UNC was trying to do like the same thing as Michigan, like with uh, Howard kind of keeping it in-house and uh, having someone who knows the program, knows what's expected, understands the culture. So I'm with it. I like it. Yeah, I don't know too much about him uh, personally or as a coach, but – keeping an assistant on board and bringing him as the head coach, there won't be a big transition for the program and it's already in a good spot. So I think it was a smart move by them. Yeah. The only one, the one thing I'd be worried about too is he's just, this is his first coaching job, NBA or college. Obviously he has tons of playing experience and, but this is just his first head coaching experience. So that might be something to look out. For, but I don't think it's anything too worrisome just because he had such a great mentor. Yeah, it was it was the safe bet too. Uh, I think if you were to ask someone that question like three or five years ago, who's the next North Carolina head coach going to be? I think that would have been the answer. He's always kind of been brought up. He, he's not the flashy hire by any means. There were definitely what would seem to be more qualified candidates, but that's about as UNC as it uh, as it gets, honestly. So someone that we know, we all know a little bit more about, uh, Porter Moser leaving uh, Loyola Chicago for the Oklahoma opening that happened, I want to say, earlier, or was that late last week? It was pretty recent regardless, but big opening, and it's now been filled with one of the hottest coaches on the market. Yeah, I yeah. love this move for Oklahoma. They – had a good season last year, kind of fell apart at the end. Um, Porter Moser's had proven success with Loyola. I think it'll translate right down to Oklahoma, and he'll be able to get better recruits in there because of the school name and the program's history. Uh, I think it's a great move, and I think they'll be competing for the Big 12 championship for uh, years to come. Yeah, I think this was a great move, Porter Moser like one of the most sought after coaches right now. Thought Oklahoma did a great job with this hire. Um, I'm expecting big things for Oklahoma now, especially with recruits. Like Kylie said, big school, big name. I'm sure Porter Moser's happy. I bet he's making bank now. I don't know what his contract is, but I bet it's a little bit more than Loyola Chicago. <laughs> I guess I guess a few dollars. Oh yeah, no, a few. <laughs> one, one thing I just want to add, I, I like the hire too. I think Porter Moser is one of the best coaches you could have gotten. Uh, from an Oklahoma standpoint, but just watching them, I don't know if this is 100% accurate, but just a long Kruger coach team and a Porter Moser coach team uh, give similar vibes with defense first. Usually, obviously, Oklahoma that one year with they had Trey Young and that just defense went out the window that season. <laughs> but for the most part, Oklahoma has been that defense first, grinded out type of team, and that's 
everything we've expected from a Loyola Chicago team for those years that we've known from Porter Moser. So I think it's going to kind of keep that same consistency with that Oklahoma program and just like a new blood, new coach. And I think, I mean, if I'm an Oklahoma fan, I'm really excited with that hire. He's probably the hottest guy on the market besides a few of the other guys that we've named last week. But I really like it. I think it's going to work out pretty well. I'm excited to see how he does recruiting-wise because obviously it's going to be a little tougher uh, fighting with those blue bloods for recruits compared to fighting for those mid-major guys when you have that final four on your resume. It looks like his contract is around six years to anywhere from two and a half to $3 million. Loyola did offer him a 10-year deal and a pay raise on his previous deal, but he ultimately de- uh, determined to decline that and move on to this position. Finally, speaking of moving on from positions, question is fired, potentially arrested, indicted, who knows? Sean Miller, the man of mystery at Arizona, is no longer there. He is finally going to be out here, and I guess the question really for him is what next? I heard some rumblings from Woj saying that he would be moving on to an NBA assistant, which would make a lot of sense as you can't illegally recruit up there, but we'll see. What do you guys think here? I think it's long overdue. Uh I mean, he was right in the heart of all those scandals and illegal recruiting. I think they should have gotten rid of him a lot earlier. I mean, there's clearly phone calls of him, like, <laughs> accepting money. So, um, but, I mean, tough, tough off season for the Miller family. Um, you know, I guess you just – you got to have success and do it the right way or else you're – you'll be unemployed and get those stimmy checks. So, um, but yeah, I, I think going to the NBA for him would be smart and kind of just getting out of college for a little bit. I'm sure down the road, he'll get another offer once all that stuff goes under the rug, like it always does for NCAA. So um, it'll be interesting to see, but I think that'll even help his uh, coaching skills and he'll be able to, have that NBA experience for the next position he gets. Yeah, I honestly think Arizona looks stupid for firing him now when they didn't fire him when all the scandals and stuff came out because they kept him around and I was like, what, they're going to fire him now? Like, they're missed opportunities there when he had all that scandal stuff going on. But um, I don't know. Who, who do you guys think is going to take this Arizona job? You guys got any predictions or what? I'm not going to say Jay Wright, obviously. I don't think he's going to Arizona. <laughs> I have no idea. This is I think yeah, this, is one, this is one where I think they could go any sort of direction. And I don't think Arizona at the time is like a very sought after program, kind of like some of the other, like where you just up and leave. It's not like going from a smaller school to like Kansas or something. Mm-hmm. But one name that I've been reading a little bit is Josh Passner from Georgia Tech. Uh, I could see this is definitely a step up from Georgia Tech, both pay raise and uh, recruiting ability wise, because that's kind of a big dog on the Pac-12 side. Uh, and I could definitely see him. He would definitely fit the violation side as well as he yep. definitely had some trouble. <laughs> Memphis. So, I think that if any reason, that might be a reason why he's not going. But I think I, I could see Josh Pastner. Uh, he's a younger guy, kind of fits that uh, system. I, I don't know. that. I'm excited to see where they go. I know Sean Miller, I just imagining him get that call wearing like a, a dress or a dressed up and he's just dripping in sweat afterwards. And a wire. Yeah. <laughs> Any FBI jokes as possible. Yeah. <laughs> so reading about reading about candidates here with the Arizona job, uh, Tommy Lloyd, Gonzaga assistant coach, is on there. Damon Stoudemire, Pacific's head coach, of course, played there, was a great player there in the NBA. And then another interesting one I read, Luke Walton. Yeah, I saw that too. Could be a very interesting fit. I don't know how much longer he'll end up being in Sacramento. Um I don't anticipate him. I don't, frankly, I don't anticipate anyone leaving the NBA head coaching gig for a college gig mid season. But if he does get fired, I think any of those names really could be an interesting fit. And they're all, I, I see muscle men on this list too. I don't, I don't see that. Don't that see seems that kind of, I don't want to say lateral because Arizona obviously has a better historic program than Arkansas. But I just, at the moment, I don't really think. You know, that's a cross-coast move, whereas you've got all those guys on the West Coast one way or the other outside of Pastor. One name that I think, I mean, probably won't happen, but keep an eye on is uh, Michael Lewis, the UCLA assistant. 
Um, he's been a hot topic for up and coming coaches. He's super young, played at IU. Now he's assistant for UCLA. So he's been a part of those big programs. And uh, I mean, being out on the West Coast, he's recruited in the Pac-12. I think that would be a decent move, but he doesn't have any head coaching experience and he's young, but it would definitely be risky, uh, but something to think about. Yeah, it's crazy how many head coaching positions have opened up with, like, UNC, Oklahoma, Texas, Arizona. It's pretty fun. You think yeah. IU, like, regrets hiring Woodson? Like, they could have gotten both Millers there. That would have been cool. No. Yeah, two is like better a, than one. Yeah, like Woodson, a co-head coaching job. Like, he could have just cheated his way. <laughs> Woodson yeah. has been killing it, so. Get Wade um, over there, too. Oh, IU got Xavier Johnson today, too. Yep. Uh, yeah, that was a great pickup. That best – if from what I was reading, best point guard transfer on the yeah, on the market. Definitely. So, already making. I didn't even moves. know he was in the portal. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think I I read something. I don't know if it was joking out, but like twenty to twenty five percent of D one players were in the portal. Yeah, that's at one that point. Is um, regardless of whether or not. So we're gonna switch gears here. Uh, we will be returning to college hoops after hot takes. But before we bring him on, we have one more trade to cover. Sam Darnold finally moved for a two six and four. Uh, obviously round picks there. I uh, wanted to go over who you guys think winners and losers are here with those trades. Could be the specific teams, could be players, whatever. Uh, Kylie, we'll start with you. Winners and losers of this deal. I think the winners are Sam Darnold and the New York Jets. Um, they really didn't have any leverage trading Sam Darnold. Um, everyone's pretty clearly thinking that they're going to take a quarterback with the number two pick and you know they're they were just gonna either sit him or start him for a little bit until that rookie takes over so there was no leverage and they still got three picks out of it I think that's great for them and for Darnold himself it's a fresh start he um, was under Adam Gase, his whole career, um, look at Ryan Tannehill after he left Adam Gase. You know, he is going to get a fresh start. They have The Panthers have a solid team. Um, if he's able to tap back into that talent that he had when he was selected third overall, I think the Panthers will be a, a good team next year. Honestly, anyone who leaves the Jets would probably get better than when they were <laughs> at the Jets. But I'm hoping for the Jets' future. I'm hoping they draft a solid QB. I like that guy, Zach Wilson from BYU. I think he's dope. Um, yeah. So if they, they draft him, I think that would be a good uh, QB to build around. A new start for the Jets, as they always do when something doesn't work out every single year. And Jets fans are delusional. If you're a Jets fan listening to this, you're all delusional. You think you're going to be great every year. You never do. Higgs. Shout out to realistic. It's realistic. Yeah. He, he goes in expecting. He was upset when they won games. So yeah. that's a real <laughs> I don't know about, yeah. like, I don't know about the whole Sam Darnold winning this trade, Ben. Like, maybe just from a perspective of, like, he's definitely not going to sit behind a quarterback, but, like, he still could definitely sit behind Teddy Bridgewater. Yeah. Uh, it just means, like, maybe Teddy Bridgewater gets injured again and then he gets to take over that spot. But, like, he's not going into a position where he's 100% going to be starting. I don't know, unless they've named him the starter already, which I don't think no. they have. Uh, so, in terms of that, obviously he's getting a fresh start, but he's not exactly getting thrown into a starting position. He's not – like, they're not 100% backing him. They didn't – they gave up some, but they didn't give up a whole lot in this year's draft, which I think – I think what the Jets got for him is – about right maybe a little more than they could have which is a good trade for the Jets depending on how they draft but I don't know I think Sam Darnold is definitely excited to get out of New York but it's not exactly a great move for his career just because of the fact he still might not have those opportunities to get better in like a starting position who's the other quarterback at Carolina Teddy Bridgewater who and the question with him now becomes do they keep him or do they move him I'm personally thinking he'll probably be on the move yeah, and you bring in someone else. I think Washington is another one of those teams yeah. kind of lurking here that could very well use, you know, shoot. Honestly, with how that Washington team specifically is constructed, I'll get back to the, my winners and losers here in a second. But the way that team is constructed, I think if you give them a quarterback that's just basic, simple, won't 
lose you games, but definitely won't win you games. I think that's another solid playoff team. I mean, you know, they made it in the NFC East this year at, what was that, 6-10, and 7-9? and nine? Not a good seven record regardless. Nine. Quarterback play mm-hmm. was, eh, it was, it was there. I think uh, Bridgewater would be an improvement over anyone that they had last year, especially with Heineke as a potential breakout guy for them too. But, they did uh, get Fitz magic. That's true. That's true. So yeah. you could have the journeyman quarterback carousel there. Yeah. <laughs> um, but for, for my winners and losers, I think both teams involved in the trade are considered winners here for me. Uh, Jets got value back for Darnold. Uh, clear the way for Zach Wilson here in New York. Uh, Panthers get a quarterback without giving too much up. If he pays off, great. If not, you're only paying him for another year after this one. So not the worst thing. You could say, hey, you know, we tried it. You have Teddy Bridgewater to either fall back on or end up trading. I think the the biggest winner for this whole thing, I would say, is the Atlanta Falcons. Kind of a abstract idea here, but the draft officially will start at four now. Uh, you know the Jets are going quarterback here. You know the 49ers are going quarterback here. And the Panthers have essentially removed themselves from the quarterback picture. So you know they're going to be they're eyeing someone that isn't a quarterback. At four, it's assumed that the Falcons are going to draft a position player, but whatever that value of the fourth overall pick this year, I would argue has never been higher in the history of the draft because okay. we're going to have they're a quarterback going pick. one, two, and three. It's it's insane. Um so it should be what what do you say, Schultz? I said this is pretty much just the number one pick at that yeah. point. Uh, like the other two, like quarterback two and three, aren't the number of two and three picks. Like they're not the second and third best players in the draft. No, not at all. In, in, in my opinion, it's Trevor Lawrence is one, and then Kyle Pitts is two. That's that's where I'm coming at it from. I don't see the draft playing that way at all. I see Lawrence at one. I think that's it's kind of funny to me how I feel like this happens a lot in the NBA where you have the first overall pick that's assumed from the start of the year to the end of the year, and then he's not talked about. And it's the guys after. I I don't really remember that in the NFL for a long time where the conversations have been largely centered around two through 32 without even considering like, Oh, could someone else go number one overall? Those whispers <laughs> haven't even showed up years. whatsoever. It's uh, it's pretty nuts. All right. I would like to bring in our guest once again, regular on the show, Jake hot for our weekly hot takes. Hot takes. What's up guys. Glad to be back. Yes, sir. Welcome to Happy it. To have you back. <laughs> Hello, brother. <laughs> so should we get right into it? Yep. Hell yeah. Let's do it. All right. So after or this first one going back into college blue bloods, college basketball blue bloods, uh, my first hot take, I don't know if Kylie will like this, but <laughs> I think I think uh, IU needs to be like erecting a statue for Scott Drew or giving him some sort of compensation <laughs> for saving their relevancy as a blue blood. Um, because I think if Gonzaga wins that, they, they kill their undefeated, I use undefeated thing, and they might as well replace them as the, the blue blood. So what, what are your thoughts on that? I love it. Ooh. Uh, so there's two, that's a two-parter. Uh, <laughs> first part being, uh, there's first one part of it is, do they overshadow the, what is it, 81 team? 70, what was it? What year? 76. 76. There it is. Did they overshadow that 76 team? That, I'm going with yes, just because this is a different era of basketball and there's a lot more competition involved. So from that part, yes. Do Does that take Gonzaga into that blue blood status and remove IU? Probably not because that's their first championship and IU still has mm-hmm. a few. So like that would be my main thing. And if you were going to argue a new blue blood, the new blue blood is Villanova. It's not ever, it would yeah. never be a Gonzaga. True, so true. that's my take on your hot take. I'm going to go 50-50 on yes, no on that one. But what, about, like, what about giving like Scott Drew something for saving them? <laughs> They're not going to give a butler grad anything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's a butler grad. He's not getting shit. <laughs> now, honestly, as, as long as Mark Few is still at Gonzaga within like the next five, ten years, I could see Gonzaga turn into a blue blood. They've made the NCAA tournament the past 20, 22 seasons now. And they've been, they were in the final four, what, like three, three years ago against UNC uh, when they lost? I remember UNC won. Yeah, I think, I think it was three years ago. Um, I mean, if they win this year, they go undefeated. And then next year, they're reloading again. Like, 
I don't know. Gonzaga's Gonzaga's a good team. I don't like them, but but their coach is solid and they got good they got they get good players. So I've got a couple points to this hot take. The first is <laughs> if there was gonna be a statue for Scott Drew, it should have been to have him come be the coach here. <laughs> he just won a national championship and IU is far from that. Um very, very and then in terms of Blue Bloods, I think Gonzaga is definitely making their way towards that, and they're starting to get those high recruits. But I'm still waiting for the day. I don't know if it will ever happen that the Pac-12 finally figures it out and makes an exception to have Gonzaga in as a basketball-only school because I'm tired of them playing doo-doo teams every year and then being undefeated and all that jazz. That's very true. And more people would watch them during the regular season if they're actually playing good good teams and not beating everyone by 20. It would be the smartest move for Pac-12. Like, it's – I mean, other than having success in the tournament this year, it's just been looked at as a joke conference the last few years, and it's typically a good conference with Arizona, UCLA, Oregon, teams like that. Um, Oregon State. Yeah, <laughs> I just think add, I just think adding <laughs> Gonzaga Beavers. to the Pac-12 makes way too much sense and would pretty much solidify them as a blue blood. I think if they would have won this year, uh, we could have started having that conversation. Uh, you would need another title though in the next, I would say, five years. You're going to get those recruits uh, about. 99% sure Chet Holmgren's going to end up there. Yep. Um, you know, they had that other five-star that they got out of uh, Omaha, Nebraska, the guard. Wow. Uh, yeah. A lot of a lot of transfers always Hunter, coming Hunter into. Hunter Salas. Yep. Yeah. Uh, they favorited to get that uh, UNC transfer as well. Timmy's probably coming back. So this is going to be another insane team next year. Um, but I, I do think he, he deserves some sort of a statue. Uh, something there. Uh, I don't think IU really needs to start sweating though. Uh, just because I when, when's the last shoot? When's the last even repeat champion we've had? Florida. Yeah. Probably. Yeah, and that was yeah. was 100 percent Florida. Oh five six. That was Al Horford on that team with uh, Billy Donovan, right? Joking. Yeah. Noah. Yeah. No, yeah, Joking. Um, Noah. Like way Hoyer. back. Chandler Parsons. Way no. back though. That's like you. You don't really – there's a lot of parity now. There is a ton of parity now. Um, so it would be kind of hard for someone else to break into there a little bit. All right, number two, what you got for us? All right, with the Masters starting tomorrow, I thought I needed to throw a Masters one in there. And my hot take is Jordan Spieth is going to win the Masters <laughs> again. He, he is riding hot right now, and I really want Jordan Spieth to win this. And I think he has a good chance to win. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's the Masters. Anything can really happen. Spieth has had a great track record at the Masters, so there's no reason why he shouldn't. Uh, I think he's definitely one of the favorites. Um, Chris Lewis think he's, thinks he's not because he focused on winning last week's tournament, the Valero. So maybe not. But I think he's definitely in contention for it. Obviously, I'm not a huge golf guy. I know the guys, but I don't know everybody. But I, I'd like I like DJ just based off the betting odds. He's the favorite, so I'd say DJ is probably the guy to look after. But Speed's riding hot, probably the hottest out of anybody in this tournament. So I don't see any have, reason why to disagree with you. I'm gonna have to disagree with this one. I do not like Jordan Speed. Always gets in his head in big tournaments. After he was young and had all that success, he's just been. He always falls apart when he's towards the top. I personally like Colin Morikawa to win. He won uh, – what was the last major, like a month ago? Is it the players? The one in San Francisco. Yeah, right? he, yeah he won that one. I forget one. which one. It, yeah. I don't remember which one it was, but he's he was always struggling with his putting. His iron game is unbelievable. And then he would just struggle with putting. And he finally tried out a new putting form. And he won that first tournament with it. Um, And he's kind of taken a break 
I think he's took the whole month off, maybe, maybe played in a couple tournaments here and there, but he's after that tournament, he was strictly preparing for the masters and I'm sure he's been continuing practicing that uh, putting stroke. And I, I really like him to win the masters this year. Morikawa won the PGA championship in, uh, in August. So I'm going to say, uh, Tommy Fleetwood. I have no reason to say that. I picked him in mm. fantasy golf once and he did well for me. So my money's on Fleetwood. My knowledge on the Masters is not there, but a lot of my friends from back home were talking about this guy, uh, M. Sung Jay. They love his short game and they've been talking about that all day in my group chat. He's from South Korea. Yeah, he's dope. <laughs> all right. Are there, any, are there any other guys that you guys are looking for this week in the Masters? Uh, sleeper-wise, uh, Victor yeah. Hovland, I think, is probably my favorite sleeper. I think his game uh, really suits the Masters with his iron play and his putting. His short game's really nice. So, as long as he can hit those greens on his drives, I think he's going to be in contention. I think a couple other names to keep an eye on is Webb Simpson and John Rahm. Yeah, I was going to say John Rahm. I too. love John Rahm. He's, he's a beast. Um, he's dealt with some injuries this year, but pretty sure he's healthy. And he was the world number one for a little bit. Um, I think he's never won – or I don't think he's ever won a Masters. Did he win last year? No, I don't think he's won a Masters. Yeah. I don't know if he's won Ooh. a major. Yeah, but – I think he's been I'm, close. He's been close. Yeah, he's gotten second, like, in a lot of tournaments. So, I think those are a couple names to also keep an eye on. All right. Uh, anybody Anybody was asking, did you, Dustin Johnson destroyed the Masters last year? Whoever was asking, yeah, 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 that's right. But yeah, Yeah. moving in, moving into the last one. Um, so obviously, I'm from Cincinnati, I'm biased, but I'm not gonna go. I, my hot take for this one is the Pittsburgh Pirates. I don't think they're gonna win 50 games this year. I just watching them play the Reds this past three days. I it's either the Reds are really fucking good and have an incredible offense, or the Pirates might be historically bad. Uh, I mean, and it's not their fault necessarily. I mean, their front office, I think Aiden can attest to this, is like their payroll is like 40 million, I think. Like, I think Trevor Bauer makes. Yeah, it's like the Bengals of like baseball. Like they don't, they're not trying to win. But um, what, what are you million on their payroll? Yeah, that's ugly. Yeah, that that's insane. But and I I looked at their over under on DraftKings at the start of the season and it was fifty eight and a half. I don't think they're getting to that after watching. <laughs> I mean, they yeah. gave up like over thirty <laughs> runs these past three days to the to the Reds. So that's impressive. Uh, so, yeah, what do you guys think? I mean, <laughs> whenever your opening day starter is Chad Cool, it's probably not looking too great for your season. And he got rocked today. That's my that's my second cousin, man. Watch how you. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> your second cousin is He's not, not no. an opening day starter. No, sir. So, I'm sorry. Not I'm sorry all. to break it to you. Uh, coupled with a pretty bad roster, or not a really bad roster, a lot of young dudes that like could turn out to have great seasons, like Brian Reynolds. Like I really like Brian Reynolds and Adam yeah. Frazier. I think those are some solid dudes, but they're obviously a little younger, so they might not have the consistency. Uh, coupled with that, they play in a really tough division. The Central is always really, really competitive, and I think this year is no exception with the Cubs, Brewers, and Cardinals, and the Reds. The Reds just clap the. Like, all four of those teams are going to be very, very competitive fighting for those playoff spots. So I think the Pirates are going to struggle, and those that they're going to struggle because those are a majority of their games, and they're going to be mm-hmm. playing four of the best teams in the NL, uh, four, comp- four playoff caliber teams in the NL, like, pretty much for the majority of their season. I could easily see them losing under 50 games. That's also really, really hard to do in baseball. So you got to take that into consideration. But, yeah, the Pirates are really bad. I could see them being the worst team in baseball. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think I think they'll win more than 50 games, but it's not going to be by much. Um, I mean, it's hard to lose 110 games, but they're kind of looking like they might. 
Um, <laughs> they beat the Cubs opening day, and I was like, uh, that was here hilarious. we go. <laughs> <laughs> here we go. <laughs> but now, since then, it's been abysmal, and Cabrian Hayes getting hurt just made it even worse. So, oh yeah, I, th- <clears throat> I think they'll sneak over fifty, but it's not going to be by much. I think they'll. I think they'll get over 50. I also think they are probably the – or not probably. I think they are the worst team in the league. Uh, I'm I'm looking at a list of teams here, and I don't think there's really anyone I would take beneath them. Um, even looking at last year's standings, they, like, they stick out like a sore thumb. Um, Aren't well, the Pirates oh, right now? Uh, the A's are not doing good. The right A's now. are, but they're but underperforming they're their roster. They yeah. have a good roster. I could see them potentially at the trade deadline trading away people, but I don't. I don't see this lasting. I think it could push them out of playoff contention into being a selling team. But just from a pure roster construction standpoint, I don't. I don't think there is a team worse than the Pirates. Um, I, I agree. I totally agree with you. Like, yeah. you know, looking at the bottom five teams from last year, Pirates, horrible. Texas Rangers, Nate Lowe is tearing it up this year. Absolutely oh, thrilled for him. Tigers, pretty good. Red Sox could be a good team. I'm still not quite sold on them. Uh, and then you have the Diamondbacks. Who's saying that the Red Sox are going to be a good team? Is that just you? I've no. not heard anybody say No, that. let me see what their over-under is for wins. Uh, I mean, I don't think they're going to be as bad as the Pirates, but like to say no, that no, a good team is a bit so they're they're over under is eighty and a half. They they have the same over under as the like Phillies. Um, but you know, just with that team alone, they're bringing the fifth best offense in the AL last year with potential pitching. Like That's I said, true. I am not sold on them whatsoever. Pitching's gross. Um, but you know, getting back to the hot take though, here, uh, I don't think they'll. I think they'll get closer to their win loss. Uh, over-under projection than you do. I think they'll – I'm going to say they'll finish with 60 losses just to hit the over. Um, I could see a nice little 60. 60 and, wins? You mean or 60 wins. wins. Yeah, 60 no, losses yeah. would be yeah, pretty yeah, good. No. 60 yeah. losses yeah. would be <laughs> phenomenal. Them, but uh, I think they'll finish with uh, 60 wins by the end of the year. Uh, and I, I for one more stat, like I was looking up like worst MLB records of all time also. <laughs> And did you guys know that 2003 the Detroit Tigers were like 43 and like 121? Yeah. <laughs> like that, I, I feel like they could be trending towards that horrific bad. I think Cabrian Hayes is the only thing that kind of, yeah. if he's out for the year, then maybe we can have that convo, but uh, it's not pretty. Yeah. Hopefully they just get some prospects that go to Indianapolis for the year. So cool. I'd like to see some like fun baseball. That'd be cool. Yeah, I mean, most of our te- most of our baseball teams in this podcast are in the central, and I feel like that's going to be games that our teams need to really uh, beat up on yeah. the Pirates. Yeah, that's and what I'm I saying. think that's what's going to yeah. And going back to the Schultz's point, I think that's going to contribute to a lot more of those losses as these teams know that they can't give away free ones to the Pirates. Yeah. No, well, I know that was. Uh, I remember that was the way with the Yankees and the Orioles the past few years. Where uh, who was it that would always just ab- Glaber Torres, right? Would just yeah, absolutely yeah. Glaber Torres would here. <laughs> like half of his stats were against. I, I think he Orioles. hit like twenty home runs against the Yankees. Yeah, he did. In Fourteen games. <laughs> I had him in fantasy that lines. year, and I was like, "Holy shit!" Just every time he plays stop. them, he hits two home runs. Um. So that was a uh, that was pretty crazy. I could see that similar effect though. So thank you, Hot, for the hot takes this week. Uh, we will see you on the next you. one. In the meantime, we are going to do a quick little recap here at College Hoops before we run out of time. Uh, we'll get into some MLB stuff to end the, end the pod with some award predictions. So, College Hoops, uh, let's talk about the game a little bit. Obviously, if you're listening to this now, if you haven't watched the game, uh, spoiler alert coming up here. Uh, Baylor dominated. And so, I mm-hmm. guess, want to get your takes. What what happened? What went Davion on Mitchell happened. That and was here. I think Davion, Davion Mitchell locked up the entire front of that court the entire game and he was the game changer for them I think uh just right away Suggs got in foul trouble and then after that it was kind of over for Gonzaga for the next like five minutes they just looked so discombobulated with uh Davion Mitchell switching everything up top uh they couldn't get any paint uh touches to Timmy and they just looked so bad uh 
obviously Jared Butler couldn't miss. Masi Teague couldn't miss. There were a lot of factors, but I think Davion Mitchell was the main reason that that team just dominated what I thought was the best team in the nation. And I, I thought, from what I saw, at least I was there. It was awesome. Um, the big men were just bullying Timmy. Like, they were all up in, like on him. And, like, they were, they were racking up the fouls, but they were like, they weren't letting him get anything easy, which I was loving. I hate Timmy. So I wanted, to, I wanted them to build, bully him. And he was a human turnover that game. Oh, my Lord. Human he turnover. Got, Timmy got, uh, I was saying this in our group chat during the game, the only shot Gonzaga had to get back into the game was having the two athletic centers at Baylor uh, get into foul trouble, yep. and then Timmy could start feasting then. But mm-hmm. he got exposed that game. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a liability for them, and I can't say I've ever seen that with him and that team. Um, credit to Suggs. Suggs came to play. That was about it on the on the Gonzaga <laughs> side, honestly. Um, Kispert was rattled. He could not hit a three. He wouldn't he, even take a shot. Honestly. He he was, and you know, he I had think some open shots that he'd hesitate on. Yeah, he did. Disappointing. And I think the speed of Baylor really caught up to them. Um, the speed, the conditioning. You know, they'd seen they'd seen elite size before in Mobley uh, two rounds prior, and you know, Timmy held his own there, but you didn't have those other pieces on that USC team that could move around. You're constantly having to worry about, you know, getting switched onto this super crafty guard that has one of the quickest first steps in the nation. His, his first step is unbelievable. He looked like I, lightning out there. It was, and I it think, was crazy. I, I think that I heard a comparison with uh, – I need to preface This is not my comparison whatsoever. It's Mike Schmitz at ESPN. And it's a few different comparisons for him, specifically offensively. There's elements of his games that mirror Donovan Mitchell with the step back three pointers that he does with that little dribble move backwards. I mean, he's got the same number. And he's got the same night. number too. So it's a really easy <laughs> one to make the comparison, right? But the first step comparison that I heard was Kemba Walker when he was at UConn. Ooh, I like that. So I heard that. I was like, you know what? I really do enjoy that comparison just from a first step standpoint because it is one of the quickest that I have ever seen. Yeah. yeah, you just it watch so it, and that's what jumps out to you. Like it's super, like just a casual fan can watch that and be like, "That guy is quick as hell." Mm-hmm. One other thing, I know Kylie probably wants to say something. I just want to say one last thing about what went wrong for Gonzaga. They let they let way too many switches happen way too easily. Whenever there was a pick with Timmy on whoever he was guarding, they would switch automatically, and it was killing them every time. That's why Davion Mitchell was getting into the lane, and Jared Butler was getting into the lane. And they're just looking for that switch. And if it was even like half of a little hedge, uh, usually it was either Suggs, Nemhart, or Kispert, they would always switch off to the big guy. And that was killing them every time. That's how, in the second half, that's how Baylor kind of closed out the game is they just do that. They'd look for that switch. Masio Teague would back out. Yep. And then he'd go, go to work in that mid-range where his hitch doesn't occur. Yeah, and I noticed that That, that, that killed Mace. them. And I can't believe that Mark yeah. Few didn't like do a – didn't have any adjustments for that, didn't – it was just tough to watch. It was like inevitable at that point that that was going to happen every possession. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think it came down to Baylor just being more battle tested than Gonzaga. Um, they obviously have a lot bigger games all throughout the year. And I think Gonzaga just kind of looked scared at the beginning. They finally settled in, but they were already facing a big deficit by that point. And they just, Baylor just stopped every possible run that Gonzaga was going to mm-hmm. go on. They they would get those easy layups, and that's usually what it's like, all right, now Gonzaga's going to get back into it. And they just – the shooting was just too on point. And like I said last episode, their passing is so crisp, and it's a masterpiece. Um, <laughs> I loved watching that offense. It'll be sad that – some of those pieces are going to be gone next year. But um, I think it – yeah, like I said, it came down to Baylor just being more battle-tested and seemed like they really wanted it more. Yeah, those veteran guards just calmed everybody down right they away. They were coming out with that first punch, too, and just keeping their foot on oh the Oh, my gas. Lord. It was, it was, it was overwhelming. Yeah. So, we already talked about Davion Mitchell. Uh, he's definitely one of the winners. I wanted to get into winners and losers of this tourney. Could be on a college hoop standpoint. If you had to pick one or two for either category, uh, we'll do a little bit. Uh, we'll, we'll go person by person here. But if you had to pick one or two for each category, I guess, who would you pick? I'll, I'll start with uh, I'll start with you, Holland. Uh Winners and losers winners. of the tourney. Winners, Johnny Juzang. 
he is I, I yeah i don't even think he was in the conversation of being drafted and now he's like i would take him top 15. i think he's a beast i think he, i think his shot is unbelievable he gets like he's really creative with his offense um his draft stock skyrocketed he's I, he's my number one um number two i i go with davion mitchell i think his performance like in every single tournament game everyone was just all over this guy and everyone's comparing him to donovan mitchell he's got the same number same last name um and he's so fast and he shoots the three ball at a super high percentage he shoots it better than the other two guards maceo and uh jared Brown. i think he was at like 44 or 45 percent from three um which is really impressive one last guy who i think draft stock is going really high also on ucla i'm a big fan of him uh jaime uh Haquez. i think he he looked awesome in every game he played it was him and juzang were like the one two punches um he's a good size i think he's like six six can shoot um i thought he i thought his draft stock honestly rose too uh losers i think kispert i think kispert kind of i don't know i didn't like his uh his demeanor on that championship game when he dealt he, he like dealt with the first adversity all season and then just stopped shooting, lost all confidence it looked like on the court. Um, I did not like how he responded to it. Um, I wasn't a fan of that. Uh, come back to me. I'm going to think of my yep. other loser. Uh, Schultz, over to you. Uh, yeah, so I have a few. Um, one that I really like that I don't think we're going to mention, so I'll just take it over, is Chris Duarte. I think he played himself into a definite first-round uh, draft selection yes. from Oregon. He – like I he, I think it's Pac-12 bias. People don't really pay attention just because they're out, like all the these games start so late. But I, he was having a great seasonal season, and then he was finally able to do that on the national stage. Put up 20 points in both games he played in in the tournament. So I think he's going to be a guy that really benefited from having that nice run. So I really like Chris Duarte. I think he's going to go probably mid to late first round, and that's definitely better than what he was expecting expected to go at the beginning of the season. Uh, another guy that I think he's not going to get drafted this year, but he's going to turn into a stud next year is Marcus Sasser from Houston. The last three games, last two games that he played, he just absolutely took over. Like uh, against Baylor, nobody else on his team was scoring. I think he had 15 of their first 17 points. He was five for five from three or five for six. So I think he's going to be a stud next year coming up. He'll, he's definitely coming back. He's like six one. I don't think he'll get drafted if he leaves. He might go to like test the waters and like see what he needs to work on. But I think he's for sure going to be back. So he's going to be that big core piece for Houston next year. And then one guy that I think kind of his stock maybe didn't hurt, but he didn't help it at all was Io Desunmu. Uh Unfortunately, we all we're all big Illinois fans, but uh, them going out in the second round kind of killed any hype that Io had for definitely getting drafted in the lottery. I still think he's going to be a first round pick, but I don't think he's a lock for the lottery like he would have if they made maybe the Elite Eight or a Final Four run, just because it just kind of shows he wasn't able to carry that team a team filled with a bunch of studs to that final four, which is really disappointing. And then one other guy that I could want to talk about kind of along the lines of Sasser was I think Quinterly is going to have a great year next year at Alabama. He's going to probably be their starting point guard. And he kind of led that team all the way to that. What were they? Elite eight. Yeah. Elite eight. Yep. Uh, obviously they lost UCLA, but I think Quinterly is going to be a really big piece on that Bama team next year. And his stock overall is skyrocketed. All right, Kylie, over to you. I think my biggest winner is Admus from Oral Roberts. Uh, most likely won't go this year, but he's definitely got that national spotlight on him. People are noticing him. I mean, dude was the leading scorer points per game in the NCAA, and no one, not many people even knew about him until he absolutely started going off. Um, I think he's a big winner, maybe not this year, but next year. Um, you know, if he comes back to Oral Roberts, people are going to be watching him. People are going to keep their eye on him, and um, hopefully it, it'll even keep going up from there. Another winner is Quentin Grimes. He's a guy that a couple years ago was going to be considered lottery coming in as a five-star to Kansas. Really struggled there. Transferred to Houston had a decent season last year and then he just blew up um, towards the end of this year and in the tournament took them all the way to the final four kind of showed his true potential that he had as that five-star rating um, 
I think he'll be a late first, uh, second round kind of guy. But before that, he was undrafted or really late second round. So I think he was a big winner there and kind of rejuvenated uh, what people think about him based off being a Kansas reject. A couple losers, unfortunately, Moses Moody. Um, guy I thought was solid, top 10 going into the tournament, really struggled. He still had decent points per game numbers, but he was one game, I think it was Sweet 16 maybe, was four for 20 from the field. That's pitiful. Um, he still got a lot of up, um, got a big ceiling. He's a freshman, 18 years old. Any team will want him, but he really struggled, and I think he'll drop a little bit because of that. Another loser, Davion Harmon. He didn't actually play in the Damn, tournament because of COVID. <laughs> but, I mean, he declared for the draft. I think he would have been a guy that would have been considered uh, to get drafted. Um, but after not being able to showcase in the big dance, um, I think that really hurt his stock a lot. Uh, I'll try to make mine quick. I'll have a lot more uh, detailed ones as we get closer because I live for this shit. Pardon my French. Uh, Davion Mitchell, huge winner for me. Uh, went from some guy who was middle to late first round to all of a sudden being probably a lottery pick. I'm going to say Book Knight was also a, lo uh, was a loser here. Um, mm -hmm. He didn't have really he didn't have the tournament that I expected him to have at all and he really had a great opportunity here to showcase you know that athleticism everyone knows about his athleticism his rebounding prowess but he didn't get the chance to really show a lot of things um I was gonna say Moody was a loser uh, everyone's kind of hashed that point I would say Kispert was a bigger loser than Moody here uh mm -hmm. Moody's younger than Kispert, which I think is a big deal. I still think Kispert can end up being a good NBA player, but there have been some major questions brought up about him. The other one, I'm going to stay away from international guys as much as I really would like to bring them up. Um, Juzang. Juzang played his way into the conversation. I'd say at this point, maybe a team gets him late first, but if he comes back next year and can show he can do something outside of scoring, I think he'll be a first-round pick. But he he's on the map now, as is Abmes, who I think both those guys could absolutely be first-round picks. I think Abmes is going to have a little bit of an easier opportunity doing that since he's a guard, um, a smaller guard, of course. But uh, I, I think they both put themselves on the map, and especially with Juzang specifically. He... If he declares this year without an agent, I think that's the absolute best decision he could make because he ends up playing with that super talented team next year with the spotlight on him. And I think you'll really be able to see, you know, maybe he can handle the ball a little bit better than we thought. Maybe he can play make a little bit because he'll be put into those opportunities now. So uh, last calls for any winners uh, or losers that you guys loser. forgot about. One loser, Franz Wagner. <sighs> I disagree. Really? I disagree. I did with him missing those two shots, especially the wide open air ball. Mm -hmm. Just I think that should dip him. Well, I I disagree, and here's two why: two shots should dip him because yes. well, one, it's two shots should dip him, and it's fun to mess with Michigan fans, obviously. But <laughs> I think my thing with him is he's still only 20 years old, and everyone that was his type of player, no one played well enough to jump him because you had like him, you had Moody, you had mm -hmm. Booknight. And you had Kispert. And three of those four That's guys fair. all fell off of a cliff. Whereas <laughs> he, you know, sure, he airballed the shot. But um, I'm going to have to disagree with you there. That's fair. All right. Any others? Yeah, I just want to mention, like, a few. I, I want to do two. Okay. Or three. Three. I'll, do, I'll be quick. Yasufu from Drake. He got his way into playing. He just transferred to Kansas today. So good for him. He had a great tournament and he deserved, he got a great move now. That's all I want to say about him. Uh, Devonte days is going to be sick next year. If he comes back to Arkansas. Evo. Yep. Yeah. So I think he's, he really like, he uh, was their spark plug in a lot of games. So I think he's going to be, if he, when he comes back, he just got to sure up that ball handling. He's a little erratic at times, but if he comes back, he's going to be a great player. 
And then uh, the last one was Buddy Beheim. I don't know how nobody mentioned him. He destroyed the tournament this year. It was really yeah. fun to watch. I don't think he's – I don't know what his draft prospects are. Probably not great. But I think he's going to – He's, if he comes back, he's going to be awesome to watch. And if he leaves, I think he'll be, he'll end up on a G League spot somewhere and maybe eventually work his way to the league. But I think Buddy Beheim did himself no harm this tournament, and he was a lot of fun to watch. Offered a lot of great March Madness moments. Yeah, and so real quick on Wagner, I want to correct myself. He's going to be 19 when he's drafted. Yeah, I was, I thought he was 19. So he is crazy young for a, uh, for a prospect. Any last ones, or we uh, get to wrap it up here? with the MLB picks real quick. All right. So uh, this is our first or second mention of MLB. Uh, we're going to go around real quick before we wrap up. Uh, one award or prediction that you feel confident making for this season. Uh, Kylie, we'll start with you. Um, it's still early in the season, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say that Nick Castellanos wins the oh, most home right. runs. Yeah. Home run title. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I thought you were going a different way with yeah, that. I thought you were going MVP right there. <laughs> I was going to say, geez, man, we've got to wrap this up and you're going to drop that one on us. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Schultz, over to you. Uh, mine's going to be very Brewer biased, but I think Woodruff has a great chance at the Cy Young this year. His stuff is disgusting, mm-hmm. and he just he just got pulled after a one-hitter today against the Cubs, and that's only going to continue. He's been great for – he's been consistently really good for – uh, three years now. I really like his chances, and I mean, our pitching staff's pretty solid. So if he can get those wins up, he's still zero and zero right now. So that would be the only thing that's going to hold him back is maybe those wins. But I like Woodruff a lot for the Cy Young. Brewer bias, but if he wins the Cy Young, I'm going to be a happy guy. Yankees yeah, are got? winning the World Series this year. Shocking. Let's go. Uh, mine's no going to be a little bit Gary weird. Cole. <laughs> I think uh, I think Montoya is going to win AL Manager of the Year. Um, that's about the riskiest one I could make, even though I said something you're confident with. Uh, I have no read on the season really, but I feel like that team is super, super talented. Uh, not completely sold on the Red Sox, not sold on the Yankees either. I think Yankees rotation is good. Health concerns me greatly. Bullpen is better this year, I would say too, than mm-hmm. years past with a lot of those younger guys developing. Uh, the Rays, uh, bats aren't there at all pitching got worse from last year we'll see who they call up prospect wise but it has not been a good start with them and the orioles aren't they're not slouches um they haven't been slouches for record might show that but they have legitimate nba or nba talent Jeez. damn really we're That's getting impressive. tired here uh, they have legitimate <laughs> mlb talent on that team so i think if montoya comes out of the east and wins the east or even you know shoot i could see the wild card winner out of the AL East having a better record than either of the other two divisions. Oh, 100%. So I think that alone could be enough to win him a uh, manager of the year. So that's all the time we got for today, though. Uh, we will be back next week or the week after with presumably an NFL draft themed one. Uh, yeah. Like, subscribe, follow us on uh, Twitter. I don't think we have an Instagram. Might eventually, nope. but yeah, that's it. See you guys next time.